0: In the previous episode, Gerard and Andrew exchanged views on the difference between a data analyst and a data scientist. The difference between a technical data scientist and a client-facing data scientist. Andrew shares a trend that companies are seeking data strategies to build data roadmap and data blueprint for companies, and Gerard mentioned the need that companies do not just stop at that stage but follow up closely to implement the roadmap and blueprint to avoid a translation gap. Both agreed that companies need to be patient with implementing data transformation as Jarrod shared a funny story about Twitter wanting a machine learning model in the next second. This episode continued the part 3 conversation with Jarrod and both are exchanging stories on dealing with weird customers. They also talk about the importance of managing the client's expectations and scoping of the work alongside with the budget. Jarrod shared his view on the future of AI. He believes that Elon Musk is very likely to be right about the future of AI. He shared his favourite book on AI and tell a story of how his mentor helped him. Let's continue.
1: Then I was like, okay, can you give me a data? Then when I look at the data, I say, hey, the, this is the claim. I say, these are the factors that will guarantee this score and this score will guarantee increased revenue by 99.99%. And I was like, okay. Then I just basically look at that and then I ask, that, hey, what's the algorithm, what's the method? They say, oh, they just built this product and then they just sell us this thing closed wire package. And say I don't even see the code. Then how do I know? Can you get documentation? The oh, they say no, this is a well paper product. Then I say, okay, can you go back to them? Just give me the input output data. Then I just do yeah. my A-B testing. Yeah. Then I just show them the result. And you say that this input can lead to output. Doesn't work.
2: Yeah.
1: And then they came to me and said, can you rebuild this for me? And, yes. A reverse engineer. <laughs> a reverse engineer where I don't even know the algorithm and you can't get it from your, your, yeah. your vendor. How do you respond to that? I also wonder.
2: You have to speak with the person that is in charge of the product. He might have a certain vision of how the product should be used and how it should be used. But then if the person who used it wrongly and didn't come up with the expected outcome, it's not fair to you to be asking as a scapegoat mm. or a body bag to actually say that, oh, because you did a shitty job of not proving that the model doesn't work, then it's not the business of the stakeholder. No, it's not like that. That's why I say that whoever that implement the machine learning model, blueprint, or the product, you should sit through the entire thing and tell the client that why is it working? Why is it not working? And things like that. So, For example, my model itself, I will tell my client that it is not a magic pew, right? If you don't, if you introduce new product, which is today introduced, you cannot actually expect it to have ROI mix again, right? So today is a newly innovated product that is on your end, like a shoe, a new shoe, new pair of shoe, right? New brand. You cannot expect it to have millions of dollars tomorrow, right? So then, if you want to actually sell this pair of shoes to a customer, you want to sell it to someone who is likely to buy a shoe, right? Yes. But then because this new product that is totally not in your DNA of the company marketing procedure, then you have to fall back on, so what are actually the face of your customer that is likely to actually buy an expensive product? Then you actually push these shoes accordingly under those underlying products that customer is likely to buy oh this is a new product and see whether it's a catch or not then slowly build up the brand of the product so then you it's actually the person who designed the machine model designed the blueprint should actually sit with you to actually discuss about how he's actually expecting this product to function and how the output is going to be loud, how you're going to measure the outcome as well, uh, even if the person is not going to tell you what's inside the machine learning model. No?
1: What happened if the previous vendor sees you as a competitor and refused to cooperate because knowingly that the client wants immediate results, and after 18 months of like marketing campaign and using the model and the product, I just
2: say that. Just replace that model because after eighteen months it doesn't show any result. It just means it's not very really that good, and isn't
1: okay. it? Let's say it, it actually happens that like that. So I told the client, I did a report. I say, okay, after you did consultancy with me, this is the result. Then he say, okay, now the second piece of work, can you rebuild the whole thing for me? Then I say that okay, this is the budget. Let's say you need all the data, cloud infrastructure, everything lah. Like because the, all the existing facility, all the data and all the computing model and software is hosted at the vendor site. And the vendor refuses to provide it. So yeah. I say you want to rebuild everything from data to software engineering to apps, end to end, you need at least half a million dollars. Then he say, You don't have half a million dollar. Can you do it for a hundred thousand dollars? Or like no, even I mean, less than that.
2: Not possible because, you see, someone actually told me before, Jared, can you actually do an Amazon website with check out with whatever and then shipping for $300? I said not possible, right? Uh-huh. Amazon website with checkout functionality, with shipping and all those for $300. He said 150 more, he's going to find expensive. So, you see, this is actually a bit of just really managing the expectation. You really have to build, from what I see, if it doesn't show result in 18 months and the vendor refused to hand over whatever that is needed, it's time to rebuild. And then when it's time to rebuild, you have to actually pay you accordingly, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think the challenge is, I think it's a sunk cost fallacy. Like the guy spent a few million dollars with a big brand. And I won't say a nobody like us, but we've been through the shit and Gone through the trenches and we told them why it's fair, why it's realistic. La. And then they second thought. La. So, for that particular case, I literally was very professional. I say, okay, may- maybe once you have the sufficient resources, then we can revisit the conversation as well. Yeah, but like having along this line, like what is the advice that you we can give to the data scientist that wants to be a front end data scientist or how to build the business acumen or nuances with the business so that they can understand the data better.
2: There is actually no one statement that I can actually give that will actually by tomorrow, the person become uh, the front end data scientist. So you can see that the entire journey actually takes years. You're an analyst first, you understand the tech stack and all those things. You understand how to frame a business problem and even a simple univariate. Why univariate analysis is important? Because this is actually why we build a data dictionary, right? And bivariate analysis is also part and parcel of data cleaning. So then along the way, then you know how to run a department. And then that's where you're able to also, because you talk to a lot of clients, then you're able to actually frame business questions accordingly. So it's not, say, today I graduate, tomorrow I become a front-end data scientist. Not possible. (laughs) Yeah, because if you are trying to do that, you're asking for trouble because uh, there are actually entrepreneurs actually been thrown to jail, right? Because yes. she That's says that a drop, friend, yeah, like, okay. a drop of blood can actually measure everyone's information. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't just, it takes years to actually master this. Skew will become a front-end data scientist. Else,
0: really. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, cool. And then the next interesting question is, what's your view on um, AI? What's the current view and the future view of AI?
2: The current view of AI is that uh, a lot of companies are still collecting data and trying to actually uh, make head and tails out of it. So anyone who is able to actually do productization or maybe say even to run successful machine learning model, they they are actually on the slightly advantaged portion. And the future view of AI, wow. they could actually go more into um, concerns of cybersecurity or protection. And because it's so easy to actually get this information from the AI pipeline itself. If the hacker is actually skewed, so then the future of AI could be also about protection, number one, and also about you see more, maybe say unmanned stores coming. Up. Yeah, Yeah. So I hope this won't happen more unmanned stores because I, I still want to actually go to shopping mall with someone <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> so I've actually been to unmanned stores around my neighborhood and then. I spoke to people who create AI human. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I've actually seen that. So we might actually see more of this kind of when you actually have five pieces of data science coming together. Mm-hmm. You will see this kind of a um, store doing recommendation to you as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so talking along that line, we mentioned about more protection, more cybersecurity in the future view. It just reminds me about, like, I think a few years ago, there was this Elon Musk and Jack Ma. They were having this mm-hmm. debate about AI. And the Jack Ma schools of thought, he's optimistic. He will say that AI will do a lot of crazy things for the better of humanity. Then mm-hmm. Elon Musk said, oh no, man, it's gonna... AI is good. It will create a lot of good stuff. But if we don't manage well, we might become slave to the master of AI for use of weapons, weaponry, or surveillance like in China. What's your view? Who who do you are more inclined with? Is it the Jack Ma School of Thought or the Elon Musk School of Thought? I
2: personally don't like Elon Musk, but <laughs> <laughs> now, I will prefer to go with the Elon Musk School of Thought because what he says right, that is right. If we actually create a superior being that is able to go on to Archive Cloud to actually learn the skill, and then replace us the next second, it's not actually being very good to the human society as well. So then we are literally having this superior being replacing a lot of people. And then this superior being that is the AI human, they might actually be thinking, say, that we want human rights because we are better than humans. Uh, then they will find us slow, because they actually can learn skills faster than anyone. Go cloud, and then immediately pick up the skill, right? Yes. So then that actually is having a danger of an AI human actually having an equal rights as a human. And what do you think will happen next? <laughs> it
1: sounds like the Hollywood movie where the... Was it Tom Smith... The AI robot, like this yeah. character, and up the yeah. robot suddenly have consciousness, and yeah. they collectively wants to empower the AI robot tribe versus the human tribe. And-
2: I don't think this will happen uh, in one or two years time. Thankfully, okay. we just actually make sure that. Uh- do actually, just to inform some of our uh, fellow data scientists, just to actually be very careful, AI is a tool. AI is actually good to assist human, but let's not try to actually build something that will take away privacy or to actually harm our presence as human as well. <laughs>
1: yeah. So you think that eventually, AI is almost like money or electricity where you need to have a regulator authority to ensure that any company or any organization that use AI Has some kind of fail-safe mechanism, black box mechanism. If there's a circuit trip, you can kill it. Right? I don't know. What do you think?
2: As long as it doesn't actually pose as actually a, a threat to totally replace humans, that kind of thing. Yes, there are actually robots actually being out there helping humans to make coffee if you are actually at Ratio Cafe, they have actually a robot arm making coffee over there, which is very great, which is very good itself. But it it doesn't replace the human because the human are still working side by side with the robot itself. Yes. This is this is an extremely good setup, right? But if you actually talk about a complete setup whereby yes, a man store yes is the human not to be they don't need to be bad there to be there, right? But they have an AI human to actually talk to you, but ultimately the snacks and all those are still replaced by the human, the store is still managed by the human so ultimately that's why I say that AI should be actually a tool it should help human, it should not replace human it's not going to replace human
1: it just reminds me of the days when I was working for some of the airline companies and we always talk about like aircraft like Boeing or Mm. Airbus Mm. autopilot this term autopilot was being done 15 years ago. They have been using statistics to create a black box that ties to that. Engine, electronic mm-hmm. computerized. But mm-hmm. they still need pilots because mm-hmm. if there's no pilots, do you think passengers <laughs> would dare to sit on a plane?
2: I'm not, I'm not very optimistic about this one. You see, my my cleaning board is still hitting my leg. So yeah. <laughs> the cleaning board is advanced video uh, image uh, AI or whatever you know but it's still hitting my leg. So what does this show? So you want to actually tell me that the plane is automated by non-human, that would be very scary. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so eventually the airlines decided, I think we still need to put some pilot and train them in the event that all this AI doesn't work.
2: Yeah, because we know, we build machine learning model. Machine learning model cannot be 100% accurate.
1: Yeah, and we know the simple <clears throat> terms called data drift la, or when when the predictor and the actual data fits in there's a break.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you always have a break because the model that we built are based on the data that we give it up to today. Yes. But then we never know what will happen tomorrow or the next day. And then this new data that comes in when it doesn't actually fit into the the model, the machine learning model that we built, then how? It so you see cannot have a 100% accurate model. True. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and, and so that's why there's a that human taking over that aircraft. We still have, ultimately, human are, I also, also believe that human are of a higher, all the intelligence so far la, that they can still manage the creation, the aircraft, the weather, because mm. that's what they built for. Mm. Okay. Interesting. What about the next interesting question is, that, what's the view on the future of work as There's more technology and companies are going into hybrid or remote work, AI. Mm -hmm. What's your view?
2: We can't stop companies who say that they want workers to come 100% in the office, right? And there are actually some works that really require humans to be in the office itself, especially those machine types that require you can't actually install those machines in the house. It just means that the person needs to be in the office. <laughs> yes, COVID actually tells us that we do not actually hold hands and do innovation in the office. This is true. Some jobs, maybe say like a data scientist job, maybe we can have hybrid. Depends on whether the company culture actually allows a total work-from-home setup. Huh then we can actually, of course, it's really up to the company to decide. Yeah.
1: Talking about that, about culture, <laughs> what do you think is a good culture to enable a prospering data science work or operation in an organization? Because you mentioned about the junior data analyst before you eventually collect enough skills and nuance and knowledge to become a front-end guy and even to become a data science partner where you can talk to business and solve and delegate, he needs to learn to ask questions and even ask stupid questions, right? Like to understand the data. How to enable such a culture to happen? Yeah.
2: We have cultures that don't allow us to fail. Yeah, this is actually upset. In some companies, you need to actually just, uh, you are not allowed to fail. You're not allowed to ask stupid questions. We just need that kind of environment which allows the new guy to ask questions without being fear or being actually um, being scolded or punished. Okay. We need that new guy to be able to experiment and try out things. So for my team itself, I keep telling my team members that it is okay to fail so long as we are not delivering the product to the customer yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I would tell them, just keep on trying. If you fail, tell us what, what is failing then if it's something that some other people in the team can help, like if it's just a procurement, we need just a new product, new software to actually help you to work better. At least when you fail, you tell us, we can actually understand how to help. Of course, most of the time, as data scientists, we know that if we fail in a machine learning model, our business stakeholder can't help. The most they can help is say how is how are you going how is how are things going is it actually fine whatever or maybe say assign us to the right data engineer to actually work together so then we data scientists needs to actually have a room to fill and a room to ask questions without being fear of being punished without with when so that it's the same thing before the final product has, is actually been delivered to the client, it is okay to try that's why it's called data science, right? Oh. Science is always about experimenting and trial and error
1: yeah okay great mm-hmm. now the what else this I'm thinking of asking about say that uh, the interesting part about in 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 the course of your career, what are some of the things that you wish? when you are a fresh graduate or when you wish you would have known when you're a junior data scientist these are career tips for the graduates
2: i wish that i can have someone to tell me what is actually the statistics books to read up yeah because the time which i really pick up the skill is when i was in ibm SPSS, and that's actually where i pick up a lot of statistical books to start reading what I do is really literally pray and spray. That is, just pray and then just read up all kinds of statistical books and then white paper. I'll read, I'll literally read seven white papers because I know that some of the white papers might need additional information to confirm whether it's actually that information is as it is. So I'll read seven of them and then... Because it's a new knowledge, then once I actually have all the white papers aligned with the thing that I'm interested to read up, I say, okay, in conclusion, this is actually how the statistical methodology might work. Then I'll test it on real data and all those to see whether it is as it is. So you see, I wish that someone can be there to tell me, oh, Jared, you need to actually read up these basic stats first oh, Jerry, you need to actually then look at these uh, models. What, is, uh, what are these models used for? Things like that. But I don't have. What I have is literally, I don't have money to do master or PhD. So what I did is really to actually just read white papers after white papers and my IBM statistical books after statistical books. And then I pick up a lot of things like uh, Arima, uh, pick up uh, things like uh, And Kova and and Manova, and all those things. And and then, yeah, that's actually how I (laughs) survived.
1: But having said that, it's commendable. Like you made up for all the deficit of formal education with informal education, which means that you self learn, you realize that, hey, there's a need to be a video scientist. I need that depth of knowledge in terms of the statistical toolkits, right? Because a lot of times in any bank's travel company, Fortune 500 company I consult for. When I was trying to guide and coach some of the juniors, they don't seem to be interested in the understanding of the statistics technique. They were more interested in the, okay, is this a package? Can I just push it in a GitHub, a big bucket, just press the comment button and it runs? (laughs) If you don't know what's the intuition behind or the idea behind this, github package or whatever package that you use if yeah. something goes wrong how do you know whether is it wrong or is it wrong because of the data or is it wrong because of the techniques that fits to the business problem and is yeah. it yeah that's what the data manager is for you know? what do you have to say about that
2: if we don't know how our models work we don't know how to enhance it this is actually the, a very straightforward thinking If we don't know how the statistical analysis works, we don't know how to use it properly as well. So if you don't want to learn and think that it's actually just a package and then push out and then it's done, then you are no different from a tool. And the tool is easily replaceable. Yeah? So if, if you want to actually be that guy who is... Everyone will turn to and say that he can help the problem or he can actually do something about it, then you need to actually be able to actually say, oh, okay, <clears throat> because it's this business objective, you have this data, then we should actually come by this solution. Although initially, I say that this is a business objective, we use solution A, but because you actually have this kind of data, we should use solution B, right? Then then you can actually talk about this when you are able to understand how the model works. Because I always actually tell people, models, statistical models, or computer science models, they are like utensils on the French dining table. Each <laughs> utensils have their own usage. If you don't know why linear regression needs a dependent variable to be scale versus a logistic regression needs the dependent to be categorical, then that's it.
1: <laughs> I, I yeah. an, analogy because <clears throat> I, I use a different analogy. I always like to use the carpentry, like you can't yeah. just use a hammer to just because you have a hammer, just every problem, you just hammer it. Some just need a flip screwdriver driver to twist and turn, right?
2: Everything just use neural network.
1: <laughs> everything neural network allow Everything psychic. You can't just use neural network. Everything. I
2: was actually... I'm actually not a big fan of neural network. But then the ironic thing is that uh, uh, just actually a few months ago, I was attending a data conference event, I met a director who actually came up to me and said, Jared, you trained me on neural network <laughs> many years ago. I still remember how you trained me on neural network. Yeah, I don't like neural network, but <laughs> but the reason why I don't really like neural network is that when, you, when the business people wants to actually understand more about what is inside the neural network itself, we know that it's a hidden layer and it actually goes into a lot of technical explanation to a business owner who just wants to earn money, right? Mm. So if you actually explain things to them in decision tree, right, at least it's a if the is the tree is plausible, and then you can see that the profile is easier for him to relate. Then if the tree is something which you want to enhance on, then you build it into an XG boost, right? After he understands the profile of the customer. In in the sense, you need to be layman enough to be a front-end data scientist. Because if you actually think that everything is actually just pushed by a package and then it will run fine. One day when you actually explain things to the investor, he will not actually ac- accept it that, oh, because it's a package. And then we just push it out, you will run fine. But the investor is actually holding millions of dollars to invest in the company. He will not want to invest in the company like that.
1: Think that's what they call the explainability, right whereby yeah. being able to explain how the model works to solve the business problem or whatever problem they're trying to solve and i yeah. think that's lacking in a lot of junior data scientists or junior data analysts that i see like you say these days everybody just tell me what's the package and just push it through oh it works okay i've done my job they don't even bother is this the right it's very scary <laughs> Well then the person is as good as a package, you
2: know.
1: <laughs> Yes, I told so them, hey, the way you do it, like how, how are you different from a data robot, right? You know, these days, you heard of it, right? You just put a data inside, and they churn out 16, 64 different models. And then, oh, this model has high accuracy. Okay, I'll push the package, go. Then when the stakeholders say, wow, oh, the car accident, or hey, somebody fraud on the bank, then they call the business guy, come back to you. Hey, what happened? What happened? Then, oh, no, is this the data robot law? 16 different packages, this package works, I just push it
2: through. This is very scary on how things work like that. I would not want data scientists to, in my team to work like that, honestly speaking. Even my cloud engineer actually asked them, so you want to actually use this as a connection. Can you tell me why you want to use it? And then what is actually an advantage or what are the disadvantages that we might see and things like that? And then they will explain because you see, it's a difference between people who want to know more and people who just want to go by. There there will be a time whereby people just want those want to go by. If they know they they suddenly say, Oh, I want to know more, then that will be different. Because mm-hmm. then they'll actually advance in a way beyond just the package itself. They will actually go into the front end data science thinking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I- that i'm already aligned with you i think having the data scientists being able to understand like the limitation of the model right yes what works what doesn't work can we even do a hybrid different type of models or Mm -hmm. do a few models and then understand how it works then Mm -hmm. recommend to the client and at least explain to the business user that oh we have a few models this one might not work very well in accuracy but it can explain this one work mm. very well in high accuracy but we couldn't really explain all the factors uh, because it's a neural network there's so many underlying mechanics it's best to have a bit of a few and then when it things don't work you know what to treat yeah,
2: yeah.
1: cool uh, okay like you have created so much value so let's ask another interesting question for the users or audience What's your favourite application that you like to use on a daily basis?
2: Application is in software or... Uh, uh, yeah,
1: model? Uh, oh, could be... Uh, okay, what's your favourite software or what's your favourite daily application, digital application? Because uh, the audience might want to try something. You know, yeah.
2: There's no favourite application or software because I've actually been through multiple research house. If you read my profile on LinkedIn, you know that I'm from Nielsen and I'm from... Become consulting. We we service different client. Even IBM SPSS, we service different client. And then they have an environment that we need to fit into. So it doesn't mean that we know SPSS statistics today. We don't need to know Python tomorrow, or we need to actually know Python today. We don't need to know R tomorrow. It's not like that. Whatever works, basically. Yeah, and but then... let's
1: say if the client were to say, "Hey, Gerald, I give you all the money and whatever tools you want." What's your favorite that you, you would use if given a choice?
2: Again, there's no favorite as well because I might actually use a specific statistics to actually run some data checking. Then I'll go into Python to actually use my three libraries. Then I'll go into Alteryx maybe to actually run the pipeline. But then Alteryx itself, I might actually use Modeler. It depends. And then visualization, I'll use Power BI, right? Of course, I can use Tableau. But he can say, I I just leave it to you. If you say there's just one application that we'll use in a data science project, it's not possible. Because you can't just say, oh, I just use Python all the way. Because ultimately, you need to visualize. So you need to visualize then Power BI already, right? You you can use R also, but then ultimately, it still boils down to what is the business objectives you want to solve. What is the data that the person has? Then uh, people say, oh, I learned Python. I'm a data scientist, but I can tell you Python or R, is this actually a small DNA of a data scientist? Yes. Yes. We we need to code. We need SQL as well to code to extract the data. But then (laughs) we we need the codes to actually run. But ultimately, we need to solve the district problem
1: yes yeah ah, okay okay maybe another interesting question is like, what's your favorite book that you read uh, reread or you will recommend to the audience
2: i don't really read books these days <laughs>
1: you, you, you read a lot of statistics books what's your favorite statistics books
2: uh? oh, okay. I um, yeah. because I, i'm very busy to read books these days but one in the past I really like to read is actually this book by professor Kohin Chai. He's actually one of my mentors. Oh, okay. And then he actually wrote this book that is on application of uh, data science. I don't have the title of offhand, but he's the one that actually talks about how to use the different model in tourism. In He actually shows the project and then how he the thought process and all those, and how you get the output and then how to read the output, is actually a very good book. Honestly speaking, if you actually have books like that, which actually shows you the thought process, the application of the model and how it comes to a conclusion to a business objective, it's actually a, a very nice book to read.
1: So you will recommend this Professor koh Chai, right? koh uh,
2: Chai, actually. In Professor koh Ko Chai's in book, in written by him, is actually a very good book. Yeah. Okay. Let me see whether I can have the
1: title of him. Eh?
0: I guess.
2: Uh, of Koinchai, so
1: that I can put it on the, the podcast and for people to check him, check out the the book.
2: I hope you uh, will not be disturbed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no worries.
2: Let's see. He's he's actually very. He's kind of old now. <laughs> How
1: old is he now? Yeah.
2: I've never seen him for quite some time. This is this is quite old now. So. Basically, he has this book that is a data mining application for small and medium enterprise. This book is actually very good.
1: Is, yeah. is it a very old book or is it a very recent book? Like, is it in the 1990s or 2000?
2: Not in the 1990s, but you, if I can share with you the link, uh, yeah, can how can I share with you the I link?
1: Type it in the message, you see that at the bottom right corner, there's this little chat with everyone. Chat with everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Cool. Is this book? If you click on the link, you should be able to actually see a page which actually shows learn at lunch or on it. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, data this. mining application for small and medium and enterprise. Last time there's no data science. We actually call data science data mining.
1: Ah. Okay. Okay.
2: So Prof. Cole is actually the one that is uh, in one of the screenshots, he's actually on the left. Yes. Uh, this oh. spectacle, eye spectacle gentleman.
1: Oh. He's the yeah. guy that wears spectacles or didn't wear spectacles?
2: Didn't wear spectacles. <laughs>
1: okay, so he's the younger looking one.
2: Yeah, so this one. <laughs> so it's actually one of my mentors. He's a very powerful data scientist. Uh,
1: yeah. Powerful in what sense? I think he's he's very articulate about making it easy to understand. Very
2: very knowledgeable his book is very easy to understand as well yeah
1: yeah I think one of the rescues that data scientists should have is the ability to communicate in people that can easily understand it as in cross translation whether it's talking to data scientists or talking to business guys
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah so you see this is actually also that's why I emphasize if you want to actually become a front end to present to investors mm-hmm. you cannot speak in jargon's Yes, I agree. Uh, Any other questions?
1: Yes. Like to the audience out there, because you've given them so much, what is it you're asked? What is it that you want to ask the audience who's listening to this podcast to be able to uh, participate or support you, given that you have given them so much who's listening to this?
2: They can actually connect me on LinkedIn. If need, I can actually offer data science advisors, or maybe say to sell my innovation dss customer observer i'm actually from direct sourcing solution of course it would be better if we actually go on video version so that i can actually show how how does actually the dss customer observer slightly works and then what is the result that it brings in the past then i think it makes sense to actually if they want to actually communicate with me directly and ask for a demo, I'm happy as
0: well.
1: Tell me more about this customer observation. Is it a product or a service?
2: TSS Customer Observer is a product that I designed myself. So it's a suite of product, and then it comes with TSS uh, Customer Simpler, TSS Fire Profiler, TSS next Product to Purchase, Main Genre and Sub Genre, and it has many other functionalities.
1: And so this product, is it? Is it across the function or is it for marketing or for finance? or What is this for? Any
2: particular? This one at the moment is actually for retail and e-commerce. Um, so it's basically to help companies to make more money because they, they will be able to actually understand their customer better and do planning business strategy and allows them to actually sell customer at the right time.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So the audience out there was listening to this, Gerald has a wonderful product. Called DSS Customer Observer. It's specifically to help customer, especially in the retail and e-commerce, to increase revenue, uh, increase sales.
2: For people uh, who are actually in banking or insurance, telco, or maybe say mobile, mobile phones, I can do that. DSS Customer Observer as well. If you are in coin exchange, I can actually do that as well.
1: Coin exchange? What you mean? Crypto exchange or what?
2: So coin, we once want to actually do one project for a coin exchange company so it's like a stock exchange market so it's uh-huh. coin exchange companies. if people want to do that in for coins we can do that as well that is to find the right customer to sell the right coins to at the moment i know it's not very good to talk about coins but <laughs>
1: <laughs> he said ftx experience right i guess yeah, so. that's right
2: yeah but we can actually help companies to actually find the right, right customer yeah. to sell the right product yeah. to even if you're in the banking or maybe it's an insurance company. We did that last time. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah, it's the end of the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.